You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Flyers are on a four-game win streak, but every Flyers fan is saying, what's going on with the defense? And we welcome a very special guest for the Orange and Backcheck podcast. Let's talk about it all right now. This is the Orange and Backcheck podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It's episode 63. We're so glad you're here. Orange and Backcheck. He's Scott Weinhardt. I'm Bill Kornfeld. Scott, what's going on, brother? Uh, you can probably see behind me, or those who are listening can, but it's snowing <laughs> like crazy out here now, and it's fantastic. We haven't had this much snow in, I don't know, it feels like 84 years, but I, I hey, man. Everyone I goes back it. to the blizzard of 96 as a comparison. Yeah, that, that was the last. I, no, everybody says 96. I wouldn't even go back that far. The coolest one was 2009, the one that happened right around Christmas time. Oh, uh, that's true. Where we got yeah, like almost true. two feet of snow. I was living in Maniunk at the time, dude. And I'm oh, telling yeah, you, that's got to be fun. It was awful. It was <laughs> awful. Dude, I remember, and I, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember I was working up in Chalfon at the time. So I drove from Maniunk on a Saturday morning, the day the snow was supposed to come. We were on a four hour shift. Mm-hmm. drove the shop find did it so we're driving I'm driving back home i'm like oh it's not terrible it's not that bad well i get to where the 276 and 309 intersect and it was just a nightmare it's like the plows just stopped there and i had to drive down like bell's mill road with sliding down a giant hill i found the last parking spot in maniunk and didn't move my car for four days and yeah yeah. It was awful, dude. If you, you live in Maniunk during a snowstorm, you're literally trapped there if it's bad, if it's bad like yep. it is right now. Yep. It, you're done. Like it's over. There's just there, there are two reasons. There's no place to A to park in Maniunk and, and B, there's just no place to put the snow. So like you're throwing people are throwing chairs, cones in the parking yep. spots, everything that you can do with that. But it's uh I I'd say it, it, the fun though was going down to Main Street. Oh, of because course. everybody's down there. Like everybody yeah. knows there's no work tomorrow or anything. Everybody yep. went down to Main Street and had a great time. So from that aspect, it was great. But driving, you just park your car and forget. I mean, there was times and but I live in Henning, it's like I can't hang out tonight because I don't want to lose my parking spot. Right. <laughs> That's right. how legit it is down there. Now now you got Uber though. That's because yeah, Uber, you were probably in college before Uber was around, even. Yeah. Which, all that none of that. Yeah, that yeah, okay. I mean, it, the technology wasn't there. What are you gonna do? I, I mean, but this is before self. This is I was in college before the first iPhone, so that says something. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, none of that technology was there when I was around. It would have been nice, but actually, probably not a bad <laughs> idea that it wasn't. It just gives you more excuse to get out of the house and go bar hopping more. Well, thanks to technology of today, we got to sit down with what was a 
fantastic interview. We sat down with former Flyers goalie Dominic Roussel, and that was awesome. Like he, that was he was one of the funnest interviews that I. I mean, we've only done two, but in my radio career outside of just this podcast, I mean, he was a lot of fun. And I, I, I hope you get a kick out of the interview. He, he reveals something that even you weren't aware of. Yeah, I had no he, idea he trained under Francois Lair, who we talked about in our in our chalk talk. He basically was the I wouldn't say the inventor of the butterfly, but the reason why it meant mainstream is because he coached Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh used the butterfly to take him to the next levels. I had no idea it was trained by Francois Allaire. And when you look back on his career, there's really a long gap there without a lot of reason why, because he was actually at solid statistics. And then he just he's in the minors, he bounced in Germany, and he wound and he worked his way back. And to hear him go through his career, uh, you know trajectory it's you got to give the guy a lot of credit i think the you know, there's a lot of people who probably don't know how undeserving this guy is from getting some recognition considering how he had to basically battle back to the nhl twice yep. so uh i listen that it was fantastic to talk to him hopefully you know we could talk to him again in the future but that was really really enjoyable and i hope that people you know like the interview so we'll play that in a second here, but let's get to the Flyers. Obviously, they had a good week win-wise, record-wise. Uh, they obviously swept the Devils and they swept the Islanders, uh, and it was a little bit of nice to see because obviously the the thorn in their uh, side last season was the Islanders, obviously, and ultimately being eliminated by them in the Eastern Semis in Game Seven last year in the playoffs. Um, but it seems like the overall consensus is this is one of the most confusing seven, two and one teams in recent memory. And it's funny because they're off to their best start in nearly a decade. Oh, three, Oh four, or a little bit earlier than that. Even Oh, two, Oh three. They had a similar record uh, to what it is now. And I don't know. I just look at it and it's like the offense is there. The points production is there obviously. Cause you have, I think four players between JVR, Giroux, uh, Konechny, and Voracek averaging a point a game, and it's still very lackluster. They're not playing a full 60, and AV's ultimately tired of it. You can tell it in his post-game press conferences. What is what is What are you seeing out of this team right now that just is the ultimate frustration for, for you? Yeah, it's weird. You talk about fast starts we always talked about how the flyers need to get off to good starts in order to to keep going and throughout the years you see them cut out the sluggish starts where they weren't winning games i think the last time they you know you mentioned the record 0304 they got up to a pretty solid start a little sluggish there this mm-hmm. season you can't really afford it because it's a condensed schedule only 56 games instead of 82 and i think 0708 is probably more comparable in a sense where their team that just kind of you know came out of nowhere and just and it got off to a hot start what I'm seeing on this team right now is a little bit of, if you can think back to about two seasons ago where they had that 10 game win streak yep. and it was dubbed by Ron Hextel, the worst 10 game win streak I've ever seen. That's how it feels right now. They've won and, four in a row and it doesn't feel like it because and, they're not playing. They're, they're consistently inconsistent. And yep. I hate to use that cliche term that all these sports guys, do, but it's the truth. They're so they're so frustrating because they'll build a two goal lead. And then their favorite thing to do this season is blow two goal leads. They did it three times this past week. So I, I have a little bit, and they did it against Bruin at the Bruins last week. So I have, 
I have a problem with that. They're not, you're right. They're not able to play a full 60 minutes and they're so inconsistent that it's not anybody to take charge of any kind of game altogether. Guys are chipping in here and there, but yep. even the players as a whole, they're not playing consistently good hockey. It's weird. Cause it's like, it, it, like, JVR is out to his best start in recent memory. His 13 points. It's the team. Yeah, he leads the team. He's at top of the NHL. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's clearly, it's clearly what we've been talking about in Flyers hockey since before this podcast, even before we started this in October of 2019. Like, it's, or when, when did we start? It's yeah. September, 2019. Close yeah, yeah. So like it, it's been this thing since the days of the latter days of Peter Laviolette, it's this ebbs and flows of the game, but it, it's so, it's so consistent with how this team plays and it's culminating in these first 10 games, first nine games of the season where no one feels good. It's so weird because they obviously have the Capitals coming up. We'll preview them uh, in a moment here. But, like, the Capitals are right above them points-wise – or not points-wise, but uh, just games in hand. And they have no regulation regulation losses. And it feels like during this week, the, the Flyers have no chance to play up a team against, like, the Capitals, but especially because they have Boston starting off the week. It's just – it's a very odd – thing to feel and it it's like they're relying oddly on their offensive production and then no one is able to back check no one is able to cover for their defensemen when they pinch everything seems to be in a rut when they don't have the puck from the neutral zone back to their defensive zone well they haven't quite found their identity yet i mean nobody really knows what this team is going to be i mean let, let's be real we're, we're most teams are 10 games into it toronto's leading the canadian division with a 7-2-1 run one record and they're defensively awful the goaltending is average yep. nothing against freddie anderson but he's average um they're outscoring teams right now but they're not playing very good hockey and they should be you know and i hate to say this because you know, if you look at this team analytically, you see the and you Ooh, see the analytics. Go. You want me to? Yeah. You want me to tell you why analytics don't work? I'm gonna okay. And I don't want to, you know, say that Mike against Mike Kelly, but we went back and forth on Twitter about that. But he's right; it's not supposed to work every single time. But this is where I feel that the analytics don't work here because the Flyers five on five are one of the best teams in hockey. But when you watch them play, no, they're they're not. They're not a good team. The eye they test, play. yeah, yeah. They're, they're not. They might be efficient where they might be getting quality chances, but there's a lot of times this team is passing up shots to the net. This is a lot of teams where this team is getting pinned in their own end very early in games, and it doesn't matter how well your analytics are. This team is not playing up to par yet. They're not, and it's okay. Like, look, it's not. there's no time to panic. Look, they've won four in a row. You don't do that by mistake. They've battled right. games out, yep. but you cannot continually do this inside and out every single night where you can't have this take a lead and then blow a two goal lead and then take it over late in the third, because you're the best, you know, best scoring team in the third period. It, all that doesn't matter. You need to play consistent 60 minutes and they're playing consistently about maybe, well, a, a, a number different than 60 every single night. That's what it feels like. There's just yeah. no identity for this team yet. And, I, and it might be too early for that, but that's okay. As long as they're winning now and they're getting the points, the inevitable slump that's going to happen outside of this, it'll kind of keep their heads above water until, you know, they, they finally get their 
crap together. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not like, uh, and we've said it, as long as they're bagging points in these first 10 to 15 games, which they are, that's a good thing. It's going to help them in the long run. Um, I, I also look at, like, you can only say, oh, well, Sean Couture is out for so many times until you're just like, okay, right. maybe this is that team. Like, this is just who they are in terms of their lackluster. They Like, that tying goal on Saturday night, or excuse me, Sunday night against the Islanders was so piss poor from Robert Haig just winding and firing it. Like, there was no rhyme or reason to take that shot in at that point like i'm i'm fine with robert haig taking the shot but he it didn't seem like he it seemed like he was just like firing it like he was playing pickup hockey like that's how i looked at it at the net trying to pick a corner when you're not that type of player dude like know your skill set if you know you're not gonna pick that corner from 50 feet out don't try to pick that corner from 50 feet out Throw yeah. it on net, try to generate a rebound, let your forwards do the work so you can back check in the play. And you're absolutely right, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's his reason, that play, that shot, the way it rimmed off the the glass and went back the other way, he got caught up ice. You had Giroux, who wasn't bagging it back, but he could have yeah, gotten he, back in position a little bit. I, I, I can't believe I'm blind. It might have been Braun. No, yeah, Braun, Braun caught up to go. Braun caught up. Braun caught up. Out. Someone was behind uh, Giroux. I'm, it was either, I guess it was Patrick, maybe. I can't remember what the lines were. I, it, yeah, Patrick was. Either way, like they caused the whole breakdown. It the caused a breakdown. The entire line broke down. So that, like that, it was just embarrassing to watch. It was yeah. terrible forechecking. And we'll get like, and the Hague stuff, I mean, we'll touch a bit after in a, a little bit later, but. This defensive third line is in serious trouble, like because they I, I don't think they have a, an identity for what they want to do in terms of what AV is comfortable with. And that's why we saw Provorov and Ghost get so many minutes. But I mean, what I love about AV is that he is holding anyone and everyone accountable. Saturday night, a lot of people's feathers were ruffled when early afternoon, late morning, we found out that there was a chance, and then it was confirmed when AV spoke to the media about quarter to five that day, that TK was benched. At the time, before now JVR is the points leader leader of the team, that was TK. And it's a, it's a bold thing to do for sure, to be the head coach and tell your to point leader, you're sitting tonight. And I don't think I it's think, bold at all. I think no, right I move. think it is, because I, I think... I think it's one of those things where when at again, the flyers are relying heavily on their offensive production right now to say to your points leader at that point, I need you to sit tonight to send the message that takes some balls. So credit to AV. I'm fine with the decision. I like it. I want this guy. I want this team to realize that anyone and everyone can be benched, but it takes, it, it, it caused me a little eyebrow raise when it was TK. I ultimately came around to it. So I, I don't know. What, what, what were you thinking? I don't think it takes balls at all. There's there, when you, when you're coaching at that level, you need to send a message. And if a guy's bagging it on a skate, which he bagged it and against Jersey for a little while there, he totally should be benched. And I don't care. Look, it's bold. If it's G because he's got the letter on his right. chest. It's bold. Yeah. If it's Hayes, it's bold. If it, Listen, if you're benching one of your like cap, yeah, exactly. You're you're benching one of your captain. Well, if they bench Provorov, that'd be that's just you, you, that'd be really bad for the defensive yeah. core. Already, it's already <laughs> yes. bad enough. You don't want to yeah. take the best Very player. True. But I get your point. 
it's a bold thing in a sense where you didn't expect something like that that early. But if you're bagging it and you're not you're not giving a hundred percent, you're not playing as hard as you know you're capable. You're you're a player's capable of playing. That player deserves to sit. I don't care what level you're at. I don't care if you're yeah. if you're a, a mite or what. Not well, mites and squirts are a different story. But you're I mean, tough. Yeah, well, yeah. I say <laughs> if you're talking like junior hockey, you know, any you know, AHL, any professional hockey player, if, you know, you're. It's a privilege to be out there. So if you're not giving 100 percent every skate, you better sit your ass down. I mean, you know, look at look at there, and there's a code there too. Like let's look at Tony D'Angelo for the um, New York Rangers. Not the top on jump off topic too much, but. You know, he got in a conflict with his goaltender and got broken up by another guy. And now, now D'Angelo's off the team. He'll never play for the Rangers again. And he's a troublemaker to begin with. But that's the thing is that if you're not performing up to your standards, whether it's in the locker room or if it's on the ice or whatever, you need to be held accountable. And I really like that AV took the step to take a guy who is per, who's as prominent on this team as a Travis Konechny and say, you're sitting tonight, you're watching from the press box. Because some guys take that well like TK and you could see he play, he's starting to play a little bit better. He'll get better and probably took that as a positive. And he take guys like Tony D'Angelo when he was bench in the season, took it negatively and is showing awful body language around on the ice. So, well, it, it's a good thing. It, look, send the message. If these guys aren't performing, bench them, just bench right. them. They got to yeah. learn some way. They've got to learn. You're being paid to play. You expect to be played at a high level and play the right way. And if you're not doing it, you sit plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, and you honestly, Sunday's game when TK was pushed back into the lineup and per, he didn't produce, obviously, Farabee and Hayes had all four goals between the two of them. Congrats to Farabee on his first goal, uh, first hat trick of his career. But like those first, I want to say eight to nine minutes of the game, you saw the team respond. We talked about right. those slow starts that they've had. Right. Throughout the season, the right. forecheck was churning on Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, excuse me. Like it was a lot of fun to watch. Like it felt like, okay, they finally got the message and then they reverted back to the crappy hockey that they've been. Because again, three out of four games this week, they blew two goal leads. Yeah. And it's something that like I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to keep falling back on the Sean Couturier excuse because that is a significant gap that is missing for this team. You're talking about a Selkie award winner. He's a defensive, uh, a, a pro, he's a defensive uh, strength. He's an offensive strength. He's just an overall strength to this team. But you can only, for a team that I saw still has one of the best pipelines of prospects, even ones that have already graduated to the NHL level, there's got to be somebody that can not fill the shoes of Sean Kateri, but at least 50%, 35%, 40%. Scott Lawton, Kevin yeah. Hayes. You're, it's, like by committee. it's by committee. guys are able to do it. And it's by committee. It has to be because when you lose your top center, you're, you're, you know, you lose a giant chunk of your team. And considering that he's been out for what, eight games now, Yeah. Uh, you know, so what, close to two, almost three weeks that's that's a that's a big deal when he's out of your lineup like that so listen as much as we're dogging the team now commend them for you know as much as Sean Couturier matters to that team and them having a line juggle here a little bit to make something that works and winning four out of the last six um I'll 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 take that any day of the week Uh, but at the same time you're right in a sense where you know this team has not come together to work in the way it needs to work and play in the way it needs to play and I want to don't want to take away anything from the Islanders. Like, look, I, I don't think the Islanders got off to great starts in either game. I'm sorry. They got off to a good start Saturday and, and last night they didn't get off to a good start. 
the Islanders always find a way to claw back on this team. They always yeah, find they a way to fight back. And yep. they, they're, they're not, you have to give them their own way. It's not so much against like the Islanders. I thought the Flyers got off to a really good start last night. I thought the Islanders didn't get off to a great start. And, and that's what it comes down to is that the Flyers started the way they needed to start. But I don't know if it's because of the message or because the Islanders were a little bit flat because I mean, look at it this way. I mean, Brian Elliott was the only reason in that first period last night why that, they won that game. I mean, Brian Elliott kept the Flyers in it, and you know, he, he, he look, he was, he was. He, if he were up to me, he would have been the player of the game last night. There was he kept that team going the whole night, made some really solid saves, kept them going while they got off to a little sluggish start. I think it was Saturday night they actually got off to a, a solid start. I, I think it's, I think it's important to know that this team still hasn't put together everything yet. They have not figured out how what kind of identity they have yet. But the positive is you're you're 10 games in and you're in second place in the division. That, and yep. now later on in the week, you're gonna play a team that is tops in the division, has not lost in a regulation, that you know what's gonna get thrown at you because of Peter Laviolette coaching them. So you're you guys in here are familiar about how that would run in the past. So they have an opportunity here to make their identity saying, you know what? Maybe that they don't need to be exactly, and who knows, this could be their identity. Their identity could be as simple as they're a team that's just, they're going to outwork you. They're not overly skilled. They're not overly the best the, the, the best team in the league, but they're going to work you to the core, and they're going to be stingy, stingy enough where you're just, you're not going to be able to get wins on this team. And if it comes down to that, and they need to get by for the next month or so here with using that identity, as long as it's putting two points up every single night, it doesn't really matter. So yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, 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 that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And right before, before we bring in uh, Dominic Roussel, like that's what I was going to get to. Like we're, ta- we're, we're, I'm not saying we're acting like the, the sky is falling, but we are being rather negative on the team and rightfully so I think, but they're still seven, two and one. Right. They're really there. That's a good start. Like you yeah. can't, I, I, it's weird to be complaining about it and I don't mean to, but there's obviously real blemishes on this team right now, despite the wins. They're just outworking the teams at a tomb to a to they're they're outworking them 30 minutes and one seconds compared to the other teams, 29 and tw- uh, 59 seconds. Like, right. Like, that's kind of how I see it. They're it's outworking sense, yeah. that extra second to get the goal. I mean, that's obviously no better example than last uh, Sunday night when Kevin Hayes scored the goal in overtime, that, that that's how you win. So and, and think of it this way too. You know, they, they're not the most, they're not the highest scoring team in the third period without reason. Yep. You know, they're a team that they don't get off to great starts for the most part. They are, their goaltending keeps them in early. And I think you're seeing the value here of what, what, what good goaltending can do for you. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we, we talked about it before. You know, don't think that these guys should be pitching up, you know, shutouts every single night. If they get blasted for three or four goals a night, but yet again, they're making solid saves to keep you in it early, to keep it close early and keep it close throughout. That's all you need out of your goaltender. Yep. So, and and more so, really, you got to tip your hat to Brian Elliott. I mean, by goodness, every game he's played and he's been a stud. So, you know, eventually at one point, every game he plays and you go and say, okay, when is he going to give up the tying goal? And it, yes, has it happened? Yes. Has he blown a couple leads and playing? Yes. At the end of the day, though, he's not giving up the backbreaker. And yep. Carter Hart, you know, he's been blown out twice so far this season. But other than that, he's been really, really tested a lot of times, and he hasn't given up any two backbreaking goals, anything soft enough to really break the back of the team. So you're seeing right now 
the importance of what goaltending can do for you because without that type of goaltending that they've received, you're looking at the 2018, 2019 flyers when they went through seven of them. And yeah. this team yeah. is just, they don't have enough. They, they don't have a, they don't have a solid enough backbone to be able to get them through this little rough stretch here. So, but well, Hey, you'll take the four wins in a row. Yeah. Well, speaking of the that year in 2018, 2018, 2019 with seven goalies, I'm sure they were almost on the cusp of calling this guy for that eighth goalie if they really needed to. I mean, he's almost, I think he's 50 years old now. But uh, we welcomed in Dominic Roussel. It was a fun interview. He talked about Brian Elliott. He talked about Carter Hart. And including how he's now a goalie coach after his 10-year career. It was awesome to talk to him. And we welcome in to a very special guest for the Orange and Backcheck podcast, Dominic Roussel. Uh, you may recognize the name, former Philadelphia Flyer goaltender. He's traveled around the NHL, uh, did a 10-year career uh, altogether from early 90s up until 2001 and then spent some time in Germany before ultimately calling it up. Uh, Dominic, Dominic Roussel, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys? Great. We appreciate you taking time on the show uh, to, to talk some hockey with us. Um, but first, how have you been? I mean, uh, I, I'm assuming you're living up in Canada right now and going through what we're all going through as a, an entire global event. Uh, how you been? How you been holding up with this whole thing? Been doing okay. Um, actually, uh, what I miss the most is uh, coaching my goal, my young goalies uh, mm -hmm. at this uh, this uh, hockey. Um, you know, a hockey school that I do uh, pretty much all year round. And every time uh, I'm ready to get started, uh, they, they close us off. So, <laughs> oh, so it's good. been a little tough. But I got uh, some free time, something I didn't have uh, for a long time, getting uh, uh, all this time off. So I'm trying to take advantage of it too. Yeah, and, and that actually goes into the, what I've been – so you spent time in, as a goalie all your career, uh, as I said in the intro, and then – have ventured off into starting your own goalie school that I've, up until probably I'm assuming last March with everything else uh, around uh, Canada when it was shut down Le up until that point, how was it going? What, what, what were the, what was it like teaching what you have been doing all your life at that point from a professional goalie to now a, a, a coach yourself? What, what was that like for you? Well, I started young. Uh, I started coaching. I was 16 years old with uh uh, at Francois Allaire's uh, hockey school here in uh, Montreal. And uh, he taught me how to coach. And uh, he taught me how to play, but he taught me how to coach also. Uh, so I started very young and uh, had it in my, in my mind that uh, when I retire, it's something I wanted to do. And uh, so uh, that's what I've been doing. When I retired, I took maybe a few months off and I started something new, uh, private lessons, which uh, didn't exist at the time. And, uh, you know, when you get to a certain level, like uh, major juniors here, when you're about uh, 18 or 19, there's not much going on for hockey schools for you anymore. So uh, I was trying to get Francois Allaire to, uh, to do some private lessons. And he said, what is that? I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, fi I figured something that would really have helped me. I, I ended up going on the ice and uh, doing drills by myself and then calling a uh, Jean-Sébastien Giguer, which uh, doesn't live too far from here. And we got together and we started to train uh, together. And uh, I was coaching him. He was coaching me, you know, um, try to improve ourselves. And so that was a really fun experience. And I really like coaching. So I figured when I'm done playing, I'm going to be coaching. And uh, staying close to, uh, to hockey has really helped 
for the transition for me. That's that's great. To, and then you obviously were a goalie in the 90s, and now we're t- talking about goalies in the tw- 10s and the 20s now. Like, the, the goalie position has evolved incredibly over the years. What's that like as a coach now that played in such a – you played in such a different style of hockey, and now you're coaching a different style of hockey, I imagine. What's that been like for a, a challenge, or is it easy, What or is it just like – an appreciation of how athletic these kids are at, at such a young age, Carter Hart specifically for the flyers. Like this kid is something that we haven't really seen in a long time. And his style of hockey is what a lot of the goalie position is nowadays. It's a butterfly. It's a lot of uh, lateral movement. That's extremely quick. And you, you I've seen, I saw on your Twitter from a couple of years ago, you talked about how the lateral quickness has completely changed. Take us into that. What, what do you, what's that like coaching that kind of goaltender from what you played? Uh, when I played, uh, I was, um, you know, I was taught by uh, Francois Allaire, which was, he was uh, Patrick Kwas coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he's the guy that really uh, changed the position, uh, the technique of goaltending, uh, using the yep. butterfly, uh, quick movements and, and stopping and being set for the shot and things like that and not come out too far to take you out of the play. So, um, so actually I was a stand-up goalie. I had to change my style because I really believed in that. Uh, you yeah. know, there was all kinds of stats to prove uh, that the, the style would work. Most of the shots are low. Most of the shots are in the middle of the net. So uh, I did change my style. And what I was playing back then was close to uh, what the, um, the, the NHL goalies are doing right now, except one thing that has really changed is now goalies are on their knees. They're staying on their knees and they're moving across and from the front to the post and things like that. It's, it's really a lot of agility and a lot of training to be able to do that. And for me, for your question, um, yes, it was a challenge because uh, when I retired, even then, there were, I would say, there were a handful of goalies that played butterfly in the NHL and the rest were hybrids or stand-up goalies. Uh, and the culture was that this was still good and the new thing uh, and nobody was really sure if it was good so I had to convince uh, parents and kids that this is the way to go this is the future and it was quite a challenge I can tell you uh, but I had my stats to back it up and uh, to prove that uh, this thing will work and after a few years it finally uh, sunk sunk in the public uh, hockey mentality <laughs> you know that, that's what i was going to ask you too i had no idea that you had been trained by francois Allaire, and that that's that's actually a great thing to hear i had no idea about that but you mentioned about your stats and i think it's really cool because uh you know I, I look back on your career dom and you i i have i have a question about your journey through the nhl because you played 60 games in 93 94 had a very good 29 20 and 5 record on a non-playoff team and an 896 save percentage. The following year, I know the Flyers brought back Ron Hextall. You went still went 11-7 with a 914. Those are solid numbers, especially during that time in the NHL. I, you know, it, it, but you look back on your career and you wound up going to the minors, getting traded to Winnipeg, you wound up in Germany for a little bit of time. Can you talk about how you worked your way? You know, how can you talk about the journey, how you got to that point, and how you worked your way back to an NHL roster in '98 with Anaheim? Sure, yeah. Um, with uh, with the Flyers, there there was this uh, dilemma a little bit. It was kind of difficult for a while because my first season, they, they you know they let me play the way I played, which was butterfly style. Uh, 
oh. and had a had a good season. And uh, but remember that the Flyers won the cups with Bernie Perrot, and Bernie was a stand-up goalie, so he was very anchored in, into uh, most of the organization that stand-up was the way. So. <laughs> I was kind of not a stand-up goalie, so uh, so sometimes I was I would get a little bit uh, benched because I I was going down too much on my knees. They were saying back then. So uh, interesting story when I got traded to Anaheim, uh, Craig Hartsburg uh, was the head coach and he was assistant coach with the Flyers at the time. And uh, one of the first things he told me, he said, Dom, you were right. <laughs> with, with that stupid butterfly style of yours, you know, everybody's playing that way now. We can't beat the goalies. So, uh, so yeah, so had some difficult um, dilemmas there for a while, trying to play my style, but trying to please the, the team. Bernie was behind me 100%, but uh, didn't really believe in that back then. So, so I had my share of games, but um, I think that's one reason why at some point uh, uh, the team didn't want to play me so much anymore. There were negotiation problems at some point, too, a little bit like Eric uh, Lindros had had with his, uh, you know, his dad negotiating his contracts. Mm-hmm. Had kind of a similar situation. So I ended up being um, put in the stands and then uh, traded. So that's how it happened. That's how I saw it anyways back then. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went to Winnipeg and the Jets were moving to uh, Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, it was the last yep. year of the Jets yep. league. And uh, I was promised a contract, but then everybody got fired. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the benefit so, or one of the downsides of when you're hearing a team's going to be moving. Exactly. So everybody yeah. gets fired. All of a sudden, there's no contract on the table, and um, Bobby Clark makes a trade, brings me back to Philly, but sent to the minors. So I was uh, one year with the Phantoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a good team there. It was fun there to play for the Phantoms, and then. Uh, to try to go back to the NHL, uh, my agent who was uh, actually was Ron Weiss and Tim Kerr. Everyone knows Tim Kerr. Yep. So yep. Uh, they they advised me that I should go play for the Canadian national team, and that then I would be seen by scouts and uh, hopefully go back to the NHL. So that was the route. A very very difficult year, a lot of training, sure. uh, lab rat, everything. Thing. <laughs> uh, but I had a really good season and then at the end of the season the Flyers called me back for playoffs but I didn't play uh, Sean Burke and Hexie were there back then uh, and then um, I was seeing like my career as a Flyer wasn't going to go anywhere so I actually picked up the phone and called uh, Bobby Clark myself and told him well my career is in your hands uh, if you can do something for me and my family if you don't want me on the team uh, it's in your hands, so you, you can make a trade or you can keep me, whatever. But it's in your hands. It's nothing I can do uh, right now. And he traded me, so <laughs> it gave me a second chance. Second chance. Uh, ended up with Nashville, uh, doing well at training camp. Was the expansion team beat the Ducks a few times with uh, facing a lot of shots? So the Ducks traded for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up with Anaheim with my. Uh, <laughs> With my old friend Francois Lair as a goalie coach. There you go, yeah. And uh, had some, uh, yeah, it was I was pretty happy about that and a few a few good years there. So that's how it happened. Uh, but that's one thing I'm proud of, proud about in my career is being able to make it once is hard, but being able to make it twice is probably harder. It took a lot of um, a lot of training and a lot of uh, I would say you know without bragging a lot of courage to uh, go through all that. 
you're not kidding. Yeah, I remember my first hockey game I ever went to was 96-97 against with the Phantom. You were with the Phantoms, and they were playing the Adirondack Red Wings. And I remember seeing, and I was like, why is Dominic Rossell in the minors? I remember I, I remember that. You know, I think it's incredible how, you know, you're absolutely right. You Think about it. You did make two journeys to the NHL. You worked your way back through that. And with Anaheim, I remember a couple years later seeing you in Anaheim and realizing how awesome it was. Like, hey, he's back in the league. And I got to mention, too, you know, I'm a goalie myself. Your 560s, your Coho 560s were just a six set, by the way. I really got to give you props on that. I don't know if you got a chance to design those, but those were absolutely beautiful. So kudos to you on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I love, I love, I love that, uh, you know, that set of equipment. I designed um, uh, everything. Uh, I didn't have the talent, the art talent to, uh, to make a great, great like uh, design, but uh, I could tell. Uh, whoever was making the pads or the mask, this is what I want. And they gave him a rough idea and, uh, and uh, they did a great job on that one. Wonderful. And let me ask you this, you know, you, who was the most difficult shooter you ever faced? You know, most people don't realize it's, it, you know, it really comes off the release and that that really is what fools a goaltender is, is the release of a, a player's shot. It's not how much power is behind it necessarily. And of all the players you've ever faced, who was the most difficult player you, you, you thought you had a really difficult time, you know, seeing and the release of the shot against. Uh, definitely Mario. Mario, um, yeah. <laughs> you would never shoot where you thought he would shoot. Uh, he would show you like a like a five-hole shot, and the last second he would like twist his wrist and put it right upstairs, or even pass it. Or you never knew. Even the defenseman on on my team uh, would ask me, "What should I do if he's coming? If I?" If I'm backing in the zone, he's going to go around and get a great shot. If I go to him, he's going to go around me. Uh, they didn't even know how to play him because it was so hard to figure out kind of guy. And um, so it was definitely the, the, the toughest uh, player I had to face. And uh, if you gave up a goal and an assist against Mary, he did a great job. That <laughs> <laughs> Dom, you talked about your journey and you, I mean, it does take a lot of courage to have not just the physical training for that, but also the, I would say the mental toughness that I think a goalie especially has to have to not only make it to the NHL once, but twice. And that leads into what we saw a couple weeks ago with Carter Hart, who has been praised as one of these mentally strong kids at 22. Uh, and he like completely lost it for a lack of a better term after that six, one loss to Boston in when you saw that or heard about it, what was your thought process as, as a goalie yourself? Was it, oh, it's just Carter Hill, or it's just a natural reaction after you have two crappy games? Or was there something potentially more to it? Obviously, it, it, he got benched for the net following game, but what was your thought when you saw Carter lose it like that? My first thought was, uh, oh, we're back in the 90s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, back in the 90s. But uh, no, there's something that uh, I did quite often, actually, um, <laughs> Uh, playing with Hexy, like adding what he would do. <laughs> Rubs you know, off uh, on you. <laughs> <laughs> one time I remember Hexy breaking his stick in a million pieces, uh, you know, uh, in a game. And then between periods, uh, I'm like, uh, you okay? Like, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to wake up the team, you know? <laughs> Here you go. Is it, uh, it, it, it to know a guy like Hextall have those kind of moments in, in his playing career? 
And then he developed into this general manager for the Flyers, obviously, an assistant general manager for the Los Angeles uh, Kings when they won the cup. Is it just funny to see him go be that front office guy and well-spoken or, or calm-spoken, I should say? And then you're just like, dude, I remember you from the 90s absolutely lo- losing your mind. But that's got to be kind of funny to see, right? Uh, yes and no, because, <laughs> uh, you know, he out, you know, off the ice, he's a really calm person. He was even as a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, very calm and very um you know somebody that thinks things over a lot and then when he got on the ice it was all instincts and uh, all hard work so uh i wasn't surprised to uh you know his to me his personality was uh, i already knew him so probably for people that just watched him play and didn't never talk to him uh you probably saw a big contrast but uh, not for me no uh and i'm not surprised that he went that road and uh, and I found it very unfortunate that um, he couldn't stay there uh, with the Flyers because I, I was feeling, my feeling was he was building a really good team and then now that he's not there, he's not going to be able to, you know, enjoy the work he's done with the team, I feel. But uh, they got good people now in place. And I think they're going to be a good team for the next few years, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And I think the backbone of that, of course, is, is Carter Hart. You know, Dom, as a coach and a former player, can you kind of give your evaluation on what you see out of Carter Hart, what his strong points of his game are, and what areas he still needs to improve in? Because, you know, a lot of people have a lot of, of faith in this kid. Uh, but I also don't believe that many, you know, a lot, there's a lot of smart people out there and a lot of smart fans, but I'm not sure if the core of Philadelphia fans understand while they know he's a, the next big thing that it takes a few years for a goaltender to, to really develop his game in the national hockey league level. Can you give your breakdown on, on what he's excelling at and where he still needs areas of improvement? Well, um, one thing about uh, the NHL these days is that a young goalie can come in and do well right away. And it's different from, from when I played. When I played, you needed a couple of years. And um, when I got in the NHL at 21, I feel I was a, not quite ready yet. Uh, a year or two in the minors would have helped. But today, they don't need it. They already have the training. They, they already are very fit. Um, they learn to play the right ways, you know, something that really works, uh, the style. So uh, I don't think he's going to need a few years to, to get good. I think he's already good. Okay. Um, as far as, as uh, his strengths, well, one thing that I noticed right away when I saw him play is his positioning. Uh, he's rarely out of position. In a position. He rarely pushes too hard and get, get out, getting out of the crease and leaving the net open. He's always in a situation where he has a chance to make one, two, or three saves rarely is out of position that's one thing the other thing that um, he did that he does is um, closing uh, the middle of the net really well so you know last game he got B on a shot inside his arm on a screenshot those don't happen very often uh, you'll make the mistake once in a while you know getting beat through your body is is a bad goal mm-hmm. so you don't want to get beat through your body so it doesn't happen very often with him. And, he, and when it happens, he comes back to his basics the next game, I've noticed. So he, he doesn't start to lose all he's learned because he's lost the game. So that's one thing that I can say uh, about him. He can come back strong. So that means mentally uh, he's, a strong, um, he's a strong kid. And uh, he's got really good focus. Uh, so, you know, to beat him, you need a couple rebounds or deflection or something like that or, or two, three guys screening him basically. 
And he's got the big save ability that I like to call. Like he can really make a big save like he did the last night in the third period on a pass across one timer. That's a big save and uh, mm -hmm. pretty much saved the game there. So he has that ability to make those really, really important saves at uh, key times. So, uh, and of course his movement, but I would say that all goalies uh, now move really well, but you got to be moving within a certain control. You have to stay a certain, you know, in the, that blue paint, you start coming out of that blue paint, you can be in trouble. So he's got the advantage on, on a lot of goalies that are really quick, but get themselves out of the play too many times. How, for a guy like Carter Hart, who's obviously, he's in his third season. He played a little bit, obviously, a couple of years ago when he was called up after the turmoil with Ron Hextall ultimately getting fired and then obviously all of last season. How important is a guy like Brian Elliott or any type of veteran backup goalie for a kid that young in his development as an NHL predominant goalie like to just sustain success over the course of a 10-year career 15-year career whatever it may be I got to imagine a guy like Brian Elliott who has accepted the role of being a backup and kind of I imagine helping Carter in any way possible how important is that for Carter or any young goal goalie in the NHL well, it's huge. Uh, you know, uh, a, good, a good example is my experience. Uh, you know, I ended up a uh, very young goalie with uh, Tommy Soderstrom or Stefan Borgard. You know, we're two young guys playing for, for a young team. And um, what happens is if you're a number one goalie, let's say, let's, let's say Carter Hart, you know, he's a number one goalie. Mm -hmm. uh, so the team counts on him to, to take them to the playoffs. And uh, so if your backup goalie, doesn't win enough games it puts the pressure on you to get the extra points that uh, the backup goalie couldn't get so uh, you know uh, so if you're sitting on the bench you watch the guy you really wish he's going to win because you need those points and it gives you like uh, when you're sitting on the bench to rest you really rest but if the guy nets is not doing the job you're not resting you're like okay maybe i'm gonna have to come in this game uh, well, maybe I'm going to have to win the next three to get those six points we need or whatever, you know? So it takes the pressure off. At a young age, I feel it's really important. Uh, at some point, uh, it's not good. he's not going to need it anymore, but I think it helps. You know, putting a little bit of pressure on him to stay sharp, you know, if you have a Brian Elliott that goes in there and plays really well like he did uh, since the beginning of the season, mm -hmm forces him to make sure he's on right on. You know, he's not uh, deviating from what he's supposed to do. Especially a guy like A.V., who is – he just obviously benched Travis Konechny, who's the team's point-leading scorer and, like, just on a whim because of how poorly the five-on-five five has been playing. Like, A.V. is not afraid to bench guys when they're not playing well. And if Carter's going down – or having a slump, I should say – Brian Elliott's going to be right there, but breathing, not breathing down his neck, but right behind him. And, and who knows what happens after that? You know, I'm sure you know that more better than anyone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a backup goalie, the right attitude is to uh, be there to help, uh, obviously, the other, your partner. Uh, it's what, what you're thinking is to get the points to help the, you know, the team make, make the playoffs. If you win 12 games, it's 24 points. So you're trying to be over 500. If you're above 500, uh, you're going to help your team. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, as a backup goalie, you're, you're never thinking, I'm, I'm a backup goalie. 
So don't think one second that Brian Hill is thinking I'm a backup goalie. Right. He's yep. doing what he's supposed to do, that the role that the team gave him. But in the back of his mind, he's going to jump on a chance to steal Hart's job. So Correct. that's the competition. That's the name of the game. Yeah. And kind of keep pushes, keeps Hart pushing to make sure he's at the top of his game all the time. Let me, I want to, Tom, I want to flash you back to February 24th, 1993. You're up 5 2 against the Whalers, a little late in the game. You think you might know where I'm going with this. And then a brawl breaks out. Next thing you know, you and Sean Burke are going toe to toe almost. And can, can you kind of tell us what, how did, how did that get to that point? If you can recall that, cause I saw it, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so I, I, I want to ask you how you got into a conflict with Sean Burke there. Um, if I remember correctly, I think we had four guys on the ice. Uh, I'm not certain, but what, one thing I'm certain about is that they had two guys on one of our guys. And, uh, I was, uh, bred, to uh, defend my teammates when they were in trouble, even though it was a goalie. Right. I did it many times in juniors, uh, in the a also in the AHL with the uh, Hershey, Hershey Bears. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this situation, this is what happened. And then uh, I skate across, I'm skating towards the red line. And then I see uh, Sean coming, uh, coming over. And I thought I was tall and big, but uh, he was taller and bigger. <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately, I dropped my stick and I... You know, my skate blade, like, stepped, kind, of, kind of stepped on my stick and tripped. And uh, after that, I was done. <laughs> and then the guys, after the game, they said, uh, I think it was Kevin Denis, said, uh, well, Dom, uh, you know, uh, it's honorable what you did there, but uh, don't <laughs> you can get killed, get shot. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he was 6'4 and like over 200 pounds. He was a monster. I didn't, I, oh man, I, I saw that. I thought that was actually really neat that you were involved in the fight. I mean, hey, look, you talk about veteran, uh, veteran players around you. I'm sure you would have liked to have Hexy in your corner for that one. Yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> Maybe I should have <laughs> called him off the bench and called. I think <laughs> someone come and help me out here. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> You know, what's funny is that uh, later on, I, I uh, get called up uh, by the Flyers from the Canadian national team for the playoffs. I mentioned a bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sean, Sean was there. And he's like, first day I got there, he's like, Dom, come to my house. We're having dinner and play some guitar. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Uh, had, yeah, had dinner with him. And then uh, we talked about that a little bit, laughing about it. And I uh, played a little bit of guitar. And he's a great guy. I was happy that I could uh, actually meet him and talk to him in person. Instead of like on the ice, you know, fighting and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much more cordial way of doing things. <laughs> if uh, if anyone is when you're able to get your uh, goalie school back up and running, do you, do you have a website for the people? Because it's in Ontario, correct? If I if I remember correctly, uh, we're in um, in Montreal, but we cover on Ontario. Okay, okay. so it's uh, dominicrusel.ca. And uh, yeah, so if anybody's interested, uh, just go check it out. Uh, right now, everything's you know full lockdown here, so all the rinks are closed. But as soon as it reopens, uh, we're going to start uh, again. So I give private lessons, like we talked before, uh, clinics and things like that. I help the minor hockey associations. So uh, yeah, so I can't wait till <laughs> till we get going again. <laughs> it's going to be. It, it's everyone's just waiting for that next moment when we say it's all over. But until then, Dominic Roussel, everybody, we, we thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, out of your day to join us for talk for a few minutes about hockey. Please, uh, whenever you're available, we'd love to have you on again. Anytime, guys. Uh, great show. Keep it up. Thank, thank you, sir. You have a good much. one. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. 
All right. Again, thank you so much to Dominic Roussel. That was a lot of fun. I mean, Francois or Lair, I couldn't like, how did we miss that? That he didn't do, he was, how did we miss that he was trained by the, one of the greatest goalie coaches in, 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 in modern day history? I think it goes to show you go back and you look at the flyers and their goaltending woes from the nineties. They might've, they might've missed that on a blue chip prospect. Here. Right? They might've swung and missed. Like, you know, Bernie was all about, like he said about the standup style. It was already dying by the time Roussel, not dying, but it was on its way out by the time Roussel had, uh, had been with the flyers. And it was really starting to be out of the league by the time he was wrapping up his career in Anaheim and Edmonton. Um, but that kept them, that kept them going throughout the league. He, he listen, you don't win 29 games as in 60 games as a starter for no reason. I, the, the guy had talent. I, I really give him a lot of credit for being able to work his way back in the NHL after some unfortunate incidents. I mean, hey, look, I mean, that's a shame what happened in Winnipeg. Everybody got yeah. fired and when they went to Phoenix and he had no contract. Yeah. Um, but his road was was arduous. But, man, I tell you, that's – that was really something. I we're definitely going to talk to him again in the future, especially probably maybe we get closer to playoff time as well and see how the goaltending is. And you know, he'll be able to give really good insight on on what he sees around the league with the different goaltenders. That was fantastic to talk to him. Yeah, I, I mean, what stood out to me, I'm going back to the Flyers this week because I, I I just agree with everything you just said about uh, Roussel. Oh, that's the first. Yeah, well, I, I know, right? <laughs> he finally agrees with me. All he took since September 2019. <laughs> Sorry, that was good. Um, I, there's a, another thing that has been bothering me with this Flyers team, and I think people are starting to really realize it. There's no third line on this defense. This Hague and Braun uh, line put up what you expect to see in a game seven, when you only can play the two lines that you trust, Provi, Ghost, and, and Sanheim, and uh, why am I blanking on the fourth defenseman? Either way, doesn't matter. Gustafson. Gustafson. Thank you. I don't. I can't believe I blanked. Well, I don't. Gustafson's so up and down. He also kind of sucks. But right. he had. A, he's had a decent game. But like between those four, they logged twenty plus minutes, all of them, and then Haig and Braun were coming up the back end with less than 14 minutes each, I believe. What's going on here? Like, are they just hoping for a, a solid, just Philip Myers to hopefully really come back? Like what? I don't, I don't know how to break this down. It's difficult. I think that they're going to try to give ghost a shot back here. If I like watch, the pro V ghost line. I, I think it's, it's working. working. It's working right now. It's working right now. Uh, look, ghost is healthy. You know, uh, Ghost had some. Uh, uh, Ghost had a really uh, great play the other night on the overtime winner that Lawton scored. Um, stood up defensively, great outlet pass. Those are the types of plays you need Ghost to to play. Um, he needs to play that style. You can't. He can't play. He can't focus fully on the offensive part of it. And I think that that's something that they might have worked with him. It, it, it's working right now. Do I think it works long term? I doubt it because we've seen this before. And again, he's healthy, but we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. Sandheim and Myers, now that's now that Myers is healthy again, I don't think they want to break them up. Like that's your solid second pairing. It's a solid line. They have good chemistry. They work well together. That third line has become this problem because Braun is not a top pairing defenseman. You're not going to drop Sandheim and Myers down to your third pairing because that just you're switching problems there. Right. 
Braun and Haig can't play together because they're too similar and they don't they, look I, Robert Haig might lead the league in hits and he might do like in, in certain years and he might actually, you know, be a very physical defensive, but you need somebody who can balance that and push the pu- pace up ice. Justin Braun's not that guy. What they have right now is a, an imbalance of chemistry, not so much of talent, just it's the chemistry issue. So I don't see that Braun working long-term with, um, with uh with uh Haig. I, I don't see Haig and Gustin working together because defensively you're both really liable there. And at Braun and Gustin doesn't work because then again it's too much on Braun and Gustin isn't good enough in his own end to do that. Well look I was shocked that Gustafson or I, I, I'm just shocked that we're since Ghost has come back come back it, you haven't seen Haig get a scratch I don't think he like he has been doing what everyone was criticizing Ghost for last year to a certain extent in his defensive blemishes. What Haig has been doing this season was exactly what Ghost was doing last year, but it seems like only a few people are criticizing Haig to the level that Ghost was getting. And now that Ghost has returned and he looks decent, like I, I honestly w- would just – bench Haig for a little bit and see what you can get at it, like what that will do. Yeah, you're right. Like a lot of these pairings, a lot of these, uh, it really just comes down to at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these defensemen are just too similar to one another. Yeah. Like it's, it's it's very difficult to find a correct pairing other than Provorov and Ghost. What works well with Provorov and Ghost is how defensively skilled Provorov is as a defenseman and how offensively skilled ghost is as a defensive offensive minded player. And they counterbalance each other. Like they're both very good at the end of it. I mean, Provorov obviously has a wicked shot when he's able to get it, but he's also, he's defense first ghost is offense first. That's why it works. And then it gets a little wacky after that, like for the second and third line pairings. I think we're, again, they're still trying to figure out how to replace this and not to go back to I me. Mean, this is a different team than last oh, yeah, year. Niskanen, it makes it completely different. But yep. think about how Niskanen and Provorov worked out last year. They're both defensive, responsible guys with offensive upside. They could push up ice. Both were about the same. You know, they, 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 they work with each other because – Niskanen was enough of a veteran to be able to work back into the play and stay back. And while, like, for instance, you would see like uh, Provorov going the end to end rush, you know, to go, uh, yep. you know, score a goal. Um, he, he, he's the type of talent that can do that, but he's also, you have enough players who are defensively responsible enough to swing back there and cover his position. I don't think you have that right now. And I think that, well, that's why I'm saying after a little while, it might not work because you're eventually you're going to want Provorov to step into the play and 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 jump in and and make offensive and make you know make and create offense out of it. Sure, yeah. Do you trust Ghost to be back there on that island? I don't know, and and that's I'm not sure if he's quite right now. Ready. I don't think he does. Yeah, I don't, I don't know does. if they will overall. And I agree with you. And you're not going to see that out of Hague. You're not going to see that out of Gustafson. You're not going to see that out of Braun. You're not going to touch Myers and Santa because they're the most consistent deep pair that this team has. Yep. It comes down to this. You're going to see them kind of get through it for a little while here, but they're going to have to make a move. I don't know what they're going to have to do as far as moving a player, but they're going to have to acquire someone who can counterbalance Provorov because then if it works, then you can bump Ghost down to play with Braun, and that could work on your third pairing. 
yeah. because you yeah. have go you have Braun who stays back naturally. He's a stay at home guy, and then you have Ghost who could be your offensive guy to give you a little more push up there. Who's a little bit more even defensively responsible than Gustin because he's played those minutes a lot in the past, those top minutes of Provera. So it when when you look at it as a whole. I th- I think that they still need to find a veteran presence that can count that they can either work with Provorov or work on the third pair and be consistent enough. Are, are there a team's going to be ready to make that move? No, not right now. And might be probably a lot more hesitant to do it in an expansion year. So um, yep. I, I think when you look at this team's whole, the, the D is a strong point, but it's also a weak point from a chemistry standpoint. So I think overall, yep. It, they're they're still they need to add a piece there before the season ends if they really want to try to make a deep run in the playoffs if things go well. But I don't even want to talk playoffs right now. Just even for the next little while here, if they want to stay at the top of the standings, they need to they need to figure it out. You know, the coaches will try different things until they try to find something that works. Who knows when that'll be? Uh, but as long as they keep getting two points each night, I don't think that they're going to stress about it as much as our conversation is right now. It's true. So. I mean, this is this week is a big measuring stick game. I mean, you have the rematch against uh, Boston uh, coming up, obviously after a disappointing uh, where, uh, as we talked with, uh, with Dominic Roussel, we touched on Carter Hart losing it, and he kind of bounced back pretty well the, the, the next game he was in. Um, so I think I, I would hope to see – Carter get both games I don't know if he will but who knows I mean I I think I think Moose is playing too well to not play him I mean he's playing out of his mind he already has a shutout uh he turned away three shot or all but three uh I think he faced 33 shots last night uh, on Sunday night against the Islanders so he's playing too well where you can't really start to split them up or start not having them split up so it's going to be interesting to see how Carter plays in that whichever game he gets. I imagine he'll probably get, what do they play, Thursday and Saturday or Wednesday? Uh, no, they play Wednesday. Wednesday, play okay. Wednesday, so we- Wednesday and Friday. So I, I imagine Carter will go Wednesday, Moose will go Friday, but yeah. I wouldn't be, you never know. Um, well, it's it, yeah, you, you might want to give Moose a game after what happened last time in, in, in yeah. Boston. You might want to give Moose a game there. I mean, and plus, why? Think about what Dom just said. He talked about, how, how Elliot's going to push Carter Hart for starts. I mean, and let's be real. There's absolutely no reason why you want to want to start Brian Elliott. The guys played in four games this season. He came in in the Buffalo game as a relief. Every game he started the season, he's 3-0 and with a 2.22 goals against average and a 9.32 save percentage. I mean, yeah. that is – he's allowed eight goals on 109 shots against. That is ridiculous. I mean, that's – for that is a guy coming in here and giving you every chance to win it. While Dom said, like, you know, he's right. He's not thinking himself as a backup. He's pushing for minutes. And the more he plays like that, the more minutes he's going to get, which is good right now because yeah. it, you, you need to pick up those points. And look, Carter's, his stats aren't there, right? Quite, I mean, he, you know, for he's allowed 22 goals on 198 shots against. He's got a 900 save percentage. So that 920 we're trying to get to is, isn't quite there yet, but he's got time to get there, but he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, road um, road to 920 isn't out of the question. It's actually, no, it's just way, no. it's, it's more of an uphill. But again, yeah. we would like to see Carter at 920. But I'm not going to complain if he's at nine ten at the end of the season. That's yeah, for sure. That'd be that'd be about that'd be about league average. That's a, yeah. nine ten nine fifteen is about league average. Overall, I'm just I'm going to talk about you know the reason I'm bringing up the stats is because 
You look at Brian Elliott's numbers. I look at the key here is it's not his goals against, not a safe shot. He's allowed eight goals, 109 shots. So, and he's yeah. had some testers. So he's, he's been getting the puck thrown at him and they're not getting a lot of buy him. You know, I, I think it's important for this team to know that with, with the goaltending that they have, they can put any guy in any situation. We saw this last season. They could put either guy in any situation, and this team has a chance to win every single night. So I would even probably even go go curveball. I'd probably throw I'd probably throw Moose in for the first game and let yeah. Carter go on Friday, and you know give Carter a couple days more off. Yeah, he played well against the Isles the other night in an overtime win, um, but. At the same time, Brian Elliott's playing a little bit better right now, so it, you might he might he might deserve that first start against Boston. I, I would not be shocked. I I really wouldn't like it, it's. I you always hear quarter uh, uh, coaches on football teams try and spin the quarterback when you have two good quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say, oh, it's a good problem to have. It's a it's honestly a good problem to have when you're an NHL goal coach and you have two solid goalies, especially ones that are age difference like they are. Because Brian Elliott, as we know, yes, I agree that he's not thinking himself like a um, a backup goalie. That's I completely understand. But he's also in the twilight years of his career. He could go for a couple more years, but compared to Carter, he's in his twilight. That's where I see it. Like it's a good problem to have because of. Carter being so young and how mentally strong he is that he can handle these kind of pressures and these kind of roadblocks in his career. And I think he'll still be a very successful goalie. And for Flyers fans, for us, if Brian Elliott's going to get us two points, uh, the next two games, if he happens to somehow play Wednesday and Friday, I'm not going to complain because it's still a win and I'm still going to be supporting Carter Hart to be the guy for the future. Like I think that's an even balance that a lot of a lot of Flyers fans can have. Yeah, look, Carter Hart's going to be here for a long time. He's your guy. He's they, they he has a lot of potential and he's going to be at the backbone of this team and uh, it's important but at, you know at the same time if he's got to work through a couple things, let him work through it. He'll yeah, get through it. Through. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And um but you, it's, it comes down to this. It, at the end of the day, and a, a coach is going to ride the hot hand. And if you're looking at both goaltenders, you know, I, Moose deserves that. That Moose deserves that's first start. And I'd well, be I guess surprised. The best, so. I guess the I guess the better question is because they also have the Capitals for the before our, our next episode. They play them on Sunday afternoon. Uh, at this at this point of this recording, the Caps still don't have a regulation loss. They're playing Boston, who the Flyers play uh, right now. I mean, how I, Ovechkin is. Con- is there a shot that Alex Ovechkin breaks Gretzky's goal record? Oh, God, I hope so. Right? I, I, I really hope so. Look, I, I, it's funny. I talked to somebody about this the other day. And, um, you know, here's what I love about Alex Ovechkin. Look, and people say, oh, he's the best player in the league. The best player in the league is Sidney Crosby. Okay. I really want to get say something. I want to throw this out there right now. I'm sick, tired of the whole best player argument. It really, it's so arbitrary. <laughs> it's so arbitrary. You want to take the most consistent or the most best all-around player in the league? It's Sidney Crosby, without a doubt. You're talking the fastest play, the best skater with the best sick, best hands you'll ever see in your entire life, and, and the skill set that's completely unmatched with any NHL player in the league right now. It's Connor McDavid. You want to talk about a pure goal scorer, the guy who just it just every single time the puck's on a stick, it has like a ninety percent chance of going in the net. That's Alex Ovechkin. Yeah, and, and yeah. you know what I love about Ovechkin. 
he's a 35 year old man that when he scores a regular season goal, he jumps up and down like he's five because he knows he's playing a kid's game. He gets excited. He's, he still has that energy as that, you know, he's got 708 goals in his career. And I really hope that he, he, he gets that record. Now he's going to have to play a few years uh, before that to happen, because, you know, you, you look overall at Wayne Gretzky's record and Wayne had overall in the NHL 894 goals in a shortened season with a 35 year old player. Ovechkin's got to pot 50 for the next three seasons just to have a shot at it. And then he's yeah. in his late thirties. So do you see him playing into his forties? I don't know. A lot of Russian guys that they like to do is they like to go to Russia and finish out the career there. You saw it with the Pavel. Which I think Ovechkin has said. Yes. He would like to finish there in the KHL, which is fine. I think that he would have the drive to do it, but the question is, is he still going to be a premier goal scorer three years from now? I, right. you know, I, he, look, he's got, Ovechkin's already, a, he's got seven points in the season in five games, he's got two goals and five assists, a little low for him, actually. You know, like he's, uh, you know, I'm surprised he's got more assists than he has goals because he's never been like that in his career. Uh, but I think there's an opportunity there for Ovechkin to have a window for it. And that would be great. I mean, look, the last, the lowest that he scored, the lowest amount of goals he scored in his career is 32. And he's done that three different times. And then the last time he scored less than 45 goals was in 2016-17 when he scored 33. 17-18, the year they won the cup, he scored 49. 18-19, he scored 51. Last year in 68 games, he scored 48 goals. That's absurd. He's a, he's a ridiculous player. I mean, he would have broke. He would have probably gotten close to 60 last year. And that would have been all the better for him. So, yeah, I guess if you look at that, yeah, he still has got it in him. But the question is, this late in his career, I really hope he does, man. I tell you, to see to, in our generation, to have one of the best all-around players in Sidney Crosby ever to watch, have, see Connor McDavid just electrify with the moves he can do, and at the same time, see a Russian come in here, a Russian player, something Pavel Burry. Ovechkin is everything Pavel Burry should have been had it not been for his knee injuries. And really, it's the truth. To see Ovechkin score that 895th goal, dude, I would run outside and just have a field day and enjoy every second of it. Because to break not just Gordie Howe's record, to break Wayne Gretzky's record, I yeah. mean, the greatest hockey player to ever live on this planet. And nobody, nobody, no matter what they think, is going to even come close to the amount of stats that he puts up. No, he's For not gonna, someone to be able to break one of them is absurd. It's just ama- that it would Guinness be World Records. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you we're never going to see a 200-point season ever again. Nope. Like, like, it's just one of those things. And even, like, I think I've said this before. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners already know this, but I still love saying it. You could take all 800, nearly 900 goals that Wayne Gretzky had, just make them zero. He would still have the NHL record for points because of how many assists he had. That is absolutely absurd. And I love it. That's one of the reasons that he is the greatest. There's a reason he's the great one. And he yep. will, there will never be another Wayne Gretzky, but we can at least appreciate the greatest scorer of all time in Alex Ovechkin. And he can cement himself as that if he can break Wayne Gretzky's record. So we're Close. a pro uh, Alex Ovechkin podcast. Can't believe that was ever going to be said. Hey, listen, I tell you <laughs> what, I, I, from, I, 
the thing is, I love this game. I love hockey. Uh, every time I step on the ice myself, I have that feeling like I did when I was a kid and just enjoy every second that I'm out there. Again, it comes down to this. It's hard not to like Ovechkin when you see this guy as a pro get so excited when he scores a goal. It's yeah. like he, it's like the, it's like a kid scored every single time he gets so excited, just absolutely thrilled. It shows me doesn't take any single one of those goals for granted, and absolutely loves the fact that he plays this game for a living. Um, I tell you what, of all of all the cups I've seen, one of my favorites was that Caps one and see him going off the bench and going nuts about it because you know what. Well deserved, so well deserving. But I tell you what, man, if he can break that record, oh my goodness, it would it would, it would be such a far cry from the minus thirty five he was in 2013-14. Yes, yeah, minus yeah, thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he needed to score uh, fifty one goals to get that mark. <laughs> so you know, it was a, really bad. Yeah, it was bad. Um, but no, it, it, look, Ovi's been one of my favorite players to watch for years. Hopefully he's around for a year, couple years more and pots 50 each year to, so we can get close to it. So by the time that, you know, I, he's pushing 40, if he's able to do that, my goodness, man, that would be one of the most publicized events in, in history because no other record from Gretzky is really going to be broke. No, you're right. I think that's going to do it. That'll do it here for episode 63 of Orange and Backcheck. We thank you so much for listening. Remember, follow us on Twitter. Follow Dominic on Twitter. It is in the description below. You'll see it right there. He was a great interview. We hope to have him back. Thank you so much, Dominic, again, uh, if you're listening to this. Again, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Orange and Backcheck, at Backcheck on Twitter, uh, Instagram as well. Shoot us an email, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com if you have any questions. And uh, let's see how the week goes. I also want to give a shout out to my buddy Matt who helped us set up the oh, interview with Dom. Yes, yes. I want to give a huge shout out for him. He's one of the actually listen, this is a guy who was in our who served our military in the Navy for eight years. Literally one of the most genuine, good hearted human beings you will ever meet in your entire life. Help us set it up with Dominic. Matt, from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you very much for, for doing that, being such an awesome guy that you are. Like this is a type of guy where he knows everything's on lockdown. He wants to get an Easter bunny costume and have his friends come over with their kids just so he can have Easter Bunny pictures. This year. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that's the type of human being this guy is. He just went out of his way to help us set that up and, and, and completely, completely appreciate it. Thank you very much. Buddy. That's so cool. Thank you, Matt, so much. Uh, come on the pod. We'll talk to you for a couple minutes. We'll talk, yeah, about, totally. talk about hockey, talk about how you just randomly became friends with Dominic Roussel on Facebook. <laughs> Love to know that story, how that yep. happened. But yep. thank you again, Matt. Again, uh, give Dominic a follow in our description below, and we'll talk to you guys next week.